We're in the book of Acts uh, once again, and uh, those songs very much, very much fitting the themes that we've been looking at. Uh, just uh, we find ourselves at the end of of chapter two this morning, and this is. Uh, I was thinking about this this week that that we get to this point in chapter two, and there's a there's been just a sequence of answered uh, of promises kept. Um, you go back to maybe 50, 60 days before, before this point, you have Jesus telling them, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise again after three days. Promise kept. Uh, he is, is with them for a while. He had also, before that, he said, look, I'm going to go away. Um, and so that the helper can come to you, that the Holy Spirit can come to you. And so we get to, uh, after he's uh, another 40 days, we, we have the ascension of Christ. Where Christ goes into heaven, he sends the Spirit at Pentecost, keeps another promise. Uh, he says that you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. Um, promise kept. So you have the, they're, they're praying in the room, and the, the wind and the fire of God come. And, and, and the Spirit fills all of them, and they begin to praise God in, in other languages. And this powerful act uh, spills out into the city, and um, there are thousands of people there watching this miracle happen, and they, uh, no one knows what to think of it. And so Peter, we looked at this last week, Peter stands up and gives a, this incredible sermon where he explains what's happening. He says, you're, you're watching what Joel prophesied about. And it's all made possible because of what David prophesied about, which would be that, that Christ is the Messiah and uh, you killed him. And yet he's alive and he is with the Father in heaven and he is ruling and reigning over the universe. And they say, they say, brothers, what do we, what do, we do with this? They're, it says they were cut to the heart with this reality that all these promises had been kept, that Jesus was the one, he was the promised Messiah. And they said, what, what do we do? He says, repent. Be baptized uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll be filled with with the Spirit of God. And he makes this promise. He says it's for you and your kids and those who are far away. And so there's this there is this theme that that the gospel is not it's not just for uh, it's not just for the Jews um, that the Messiah did not come just for the Jews and the uh, the the thing that we can kind of miss out on very easily is that. Uh, that would have gone on really. That would have gone over really, really poorly in that in that context because the Jews hated everyone who wasn't Jewish, and so you're basically telling them, "No, the Messiah has not only come for you; he's come for everyone." And we hear that, and we're like, "Yes, it's in, it's it's for the nations," and we celebrate that. And we think that's amazing. They would have hated that message to the point where they killed him because of it. And so uh, when you know and. and this morning is, is, is not, I don't want, I'm not addressing the racial tensions in our country, but we, uh, it's easy for us to miss out on the, like, the underlying context of Jesus' entire ministry was in this massively racist world. And so uh, when we, if we're like, well, what are, how are we supposed to navigate this world? Well, we just look at what Jesus did because he was, in, he was in a world that was equally, maybe even more, maybe it was even worse where he was. And the way that he navigated it is the same way that we can, we can do that. So um, if, you're, if you're wondering, can Christ relate to what we're going through? Absolutely, he can. And uh, so, we, so we, we see this, this message go out to all of these people. 
And about 3,000 people decide uh, that they believe what Peter is saying. They're cut to the heart. The spirit is moving. They repent. They are baptized like in terms of like immersed in the spirit, filled with the spirit. They're forgiven of their sins. And there's this, uh, this you know, 3,000 plus group of people who are now in Jerusalem. They, are, uh, they have gone from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. And they're like, now, now what do we do? You know, like, um, like they have no idea what to do with it. And so they have all traveled from all over the, all over the place. They've come to Jerusalem for this festival. And usually that meant they would stay for, you'd stay for a while because it was such a like ordeal to get there. And so, um, so they're there for weeks, months, you know, who, who knows? And so this, what we see in this paragraph at the end of chapter two is this, uh, this description of what happens with these 3000 new believers, um, it's a summary of it describes of what their life was like of what it, what it looks like for that many people to come to know Christ and to, uh, to begin this new life and to be discipled. And, uh, here's this like very, very like this church in its absolute infancy. Um, the great commission that Jesus handed to them, uh, it is the beginnings of, of this. And so, um, like we're probably familiar with the great commission. Um, so Jesus says, he says to go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son, the Holy spirit. So that, that part has happened. Then there's the second part of it. Um, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that's what this paragraph describes. The first part of the paragraph for them had happened. Now we're looking at, we're looking at the second part being taught uh, all the things that Jesus uh, had, all the things that he taught his disciples, all the things that he taught all of his followers. Um, and this is what it looks like. And so if we, I'm going to read the paragraph, and then uh, as you look at it, if you're looking at it visually in your Bible, which I hope that you are, um, the first, like verse 42 is like, a, is like a summary of a summary. And the rest of the verses just kind of expand upon that particular verse. Um, so let's look at it. This is Acts 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs uh, were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, if there's a paragraph in the Bible that you read and you're like, uh, I want that paragraph to describe my entire existence. Isn't that one of the, one of the ones that you would go to? Like nobody reads that, and they're like, I don't really want to be a part of that community. You know, I don't want I don't want my my church to look like that. I don't want my friend group to look like that. No, we read that, and like it stirs something in you. It sounds so uh, idealistic, maybe maybe unrealistic to some. Um, but this, uh, like Luke. Luke wrote Luke and Acts, and he did his research. And this is the he, this is like a compilation of like all of the stories that he heard. This is a description of like here's here's my summary of what it would have looked like to be in that group of three thousand during this this point in what what God is doing. And so if we look at verse forty two, like I said, that's like the summary of the summary. 
And it starts off, and it says that they devoted themselves to these four things. That's his, his, his assessment. Is, is what it sounds like these, were, these four things were very important to them. Um, uh, N.T. Wright's translation of the New Testament says they gave full attention to these things. There's a devotion, a, a full giving of attention to these things. And, uh, and that, that is what discipleship looked like for them. Like if you really want to boil it down to like what, what, how do you, what do you do with a new believer? What do you do with an old, an old believer who's walked with God for a long time? Like what do you do? Well, as disciples, we're, we're devoted. We're giving our full attention to some things. Um, these are not, uh, these are, uh, this is a, just, it's a descriptive paragraph. It's not saying these are, these are not the new, these are not the four commandments, you know. But it's just saying, here, here's what they did. Here's what the apostles did. Here's how they led all these new believers. Here is the best way for them to put traction to the things that Jesus taught them. This is what they taught the people to do. Um, so they gave full attention to these things. We're going to look at them one at a time. The first one, uh, the apostles' teaching. Verse 43 says this, uh, all came, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. So let's, let's step out of it just for a second. So you're, let's say that you're in the crowd, you heard Peter's sermon, you're cut to the heart, you're filled with the spirit. You're a part of this, this new community. Um, and the leaders of this community are performing all of these miracles. Don't you think you would hang on every word, you know, like, don't you think you would pay every bit of attention to what these guys are saying? Like, they are the resident experts. They're, they're the ones that were with Jesus. These are the men and women that were with, actually with him. They, they followed him. They listened to He was their rabbi. They watched him get killed. They watched him get buried. They saw the, the scars when, from, uh, from the resurrection. They were with him to, when Peter got reinstated. They watched him ascend to heaven. Like, of course you're going to hang on every single word of theirs. Right, it, it makes it makes perfect sense, um, and and at the time they basically had uh, they had the Old Testament and they had the teachings of Jesus. Um, like that's that's what they would have been uh, holding on to. Um, for us, we have we have this like this in, incredible compilation of writings. Um, and so it wasn't this, it wouldn't have been, it, it didn't say like they devoted themselves to the Bible because the Bible as we know it hadn't come into fruition yet. But if you want to make a, a, a transfer to us, this is, this is what it would be. They were, they paid full attention to the, to the scriptures. They paid full attention to what the apostles were teaching them. The apostles were the, were the expert there. Um, the, what this, I think, tells us is that the Bible is going to play a crucial role in our discipleship. Absolutely crucial in our discipleship. And also in our abiding life. As Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The Bible will play a part in that. And also in our cultural engagement. Uh, as I was saying, we, we aren't sure what to do a lot of the times. We look at what Christ did. We model what he did. Uh, I could just keep going all the all the reasons why the Bible is relevant to us and and many people will read this they'll read this paragraph in Acts and they'll say I want to see that again I want to be a part of that um, that will happen 
through devotion to the Word of God. That is a part of it. If you want to see this happen, but you're unwilling to pay full attention to the Scriptures, like for that to be a part of your life, then you, that we're not going to see these things happen. You know, it's going to be a part of that. And um, you know, we live in a world that's full of of knowledge. You know, like we have. Uh, I mean, everyone here's phone is off, right? But we could turn our phones on, and we could pretty much find an answer to any question we could come up with very, very quickly. Um, and a part of this knowledge that we have and access to information, it, we end up thinking that we we are kind of an expert on literally everything. You know, like uh, I was talking with with Jeremy Anderson. He was talking about this. The, this study and uh, it's, it was very interesting to go and read more about it after we talked about it. But how like um, like these psychologists were trying to figure out how come everybody everyone gets a little bit of knowledge. Like you read a Wikipedia article and suddenly you're the like you're an expert on that one topic. You know, like it's a phenomenon. Like we we get a little bit of knowledge, we become like all knowing about everything. And uh, if you keep studying about whatever that is, you, eventually you kind of like swing back down into reality of like, oh yeah, I don't know anything. <laughs> um, but a part of our world is that we, we don't think we really need the Bible, you know? Like we're being told that all the time. The Bible, oh, it's, just, it's ancient, it's out of date, it's poorly interpreted, it's this and this and this and this. And uh, there's a lot of pushback that I could give to that. Um, I'll, just, I'll just say this. Um, if if we want to see God do the things that he's done all throughout the history of the church, um, we need to keep in mind it will not happen apart from the scriptures being like integrated and us being devoted to to not only studying them but living out what it says. Uh, that is that is the pattern with the people of God. And so our world may tell us to throw the Bible out or to not, you know, don't build your life on this old document, but for the sons and daughters who have been uh, like who have been saved by like we've been rescued by a savior who we can read the words that have survived our the world can say that, but for us this this is not just any book, and so you have these apostles who are trying to disciple three thousand people, and what do they what do they tell them to do? Devote yourselves to the things that we are telling you. devote yourselves to the things that our rabbi taught us when we were with him um, so that 's the first one. second thing it says they, that they devoted themselves to uh, is is the fellowship and we love this one. Right, the apostles' teaching. Everyone doesn't really love that one, but everybody loves the fellowship. Um, and uh, so, the word, this word "fellowship," if you in, in the Greek, uh, it's built around this like kind of root meaning, which which is uh, common or having in common and sharing. So, fellowship means like we have we have something in common. Um, we are our fellow believers in something. We're 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 unified in some sort of way, and this thing that we're unified in, we are we are sharing it as well. Um, and uh, again, in N.T. Wright's translation, he says they devoted themselves to the the common life, not common like everyday ordinary, but common like like we we have this in common with one another. And if you look at verse verses forty four and forty five, it kind of it kind of unpacks that fellowship idea. Uh, 44 um, says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. Okay, So one, a part of that uh, being devoted to the fellowship is that they were together. 
and we've been robbed of that, you know, for the past couple of months. Um, and and I believe that the I think that the the big church is is feeling it. Like I, I you know, Zoom Zoom did fine for a little while, and we were kind of you know, driveway visits would be nice here and there. But like we're we're struggling, you know. And I think for me, just having a date on the calendar of knowing when we're going to be like coming back together is so helpful. Um, and so we've experienced whenever whenever this togetherness is taken away, we've we've experienced what that's like and the the impact that it has on us because we weren't meant to be we weren't meant to be separated in that way. We were meant to be together. Father, Son, Spirit were created in their image. Uh, in the image of a community. So like inherently we are meant for togetherness. So verse 44, all who believe were together and they had all things in common. And I love that it doesn't say, and they had Jesus in common, but it not, but not the other stuff was separate. Is that they had all things in common. Verse 45 expands on that. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. So they had Jesus and, they had, and, the, and the Holy Spirit in common, and they had the apostles' teaching in common, but it wasn't, it wasn't limited to just the spiritual stuff. You know? It wasn't just the church stuff. And then the rest of their lives were, were you know, in, in a kind of a different category. That unity, that commonness, uh, it bled into every area of their life to the point where if someone had a need and they couldn't pass the hat to meet it, they're like, okay, well, I, I could probably sell this of mine in order to meet that need. Like that's a that's a that's a really interesting way of, of, of living. This kind of kingdom generosity uh, at work among these really like baby Christians uh, is such a, a beautiful thing. Like. Um, you, th- you think about how long it takes to to go like let's let's say you're an adult let's say you come to know Christ and one of the first things your disciple teaches you is is to tithe you know uh, you are crazy like what do you mean I'm supposed to to take my budget and do the, like give ten percent of what like, you know it seems really crazy think about how how long and I'll just I'll speak on behalf of people and no need to nod or anything but think about how long it takes you to mature into the point where the tithe is like a spiritual like discipline and act of worship and all that kind of stuff. These folks just went right to it. They're like, oh, the deci- they said to do it? Okay, that, that's fine. Like Something had come alive in them, and they couldn't sit around and watch other people need to the point where they would just go hop their stuff in order to pay for it. Um, this, is, this is an incredible thing, and it requires, uh, requires two, two things to happen. It requires open-handedness, for those who have, and it requires, um, uh, see how to say it, like in this kind of open honesty for those who don't have. So if you have stuff, you you have to be open-handed and and generous with it. Um, But if you don't have, you have to be honest enough with your community to say, hey, I'm 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 struggling here. I'm struggling to pay this bill. I'm struggling to get the groceries that that I need or that my family needs. Um, it could also go into, hey, I'm struggling. I, I need you to pray for this. I need you to walk with me through this. I need to confess this. I need. I got, I don't understand this. I'm not sure what to do here. You know, like so that that open honesty goes in all areas of life. 
the example that they give was in, was in terms of possessions, but there seems to be this this thing about them where they're like, yeah, we're all like we're all doing this together, and so this is a space where you can be honest if you have a need, and know that expressing that need is going to result in people being like, well, what can I do to meet it? It doesn't. Do we need to pray for you right now? Do we need to set up time to talk about this? Do I need to go sell something? Do I need to? Do we need to pass the hat and meet the need? I mean, how's it going to work? Uh, all of those kinds of things have to, um, like, it requires both of those to happen. Even in our church covenant, we talk about, um, like, how, how important that is. Uh, like, we're, we're here to walk together, but we have to know what you're going through. You can't go through something in secret uh, because that means we are unable to help be there, you know, to help meet that need. And so all these things are, are, are happening within this, this group of people because that's what the apostles are teaching them, because that's what Christ taught them to do and modeled for them. And so it is, it is this going outward of these things that God has taught them. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, it's easy to look at this and, you know, we're all, like, inspired by it, of course, you know. But um, I'll say this. I've seen firsthand the generosity of, of this church. Um, and I could tell story after story after story of, of things like this happening with, within this, this congregation. Um, whether it is the like the watching the financial like the like the the tithing worship of the church like mature and grow and get stronger and stronger and stronger, but also uh, how community groups will conspire to help meet a need, you know, um, and uh, whether it's a financial need or like stopping being like, hey, we're going to hit pause on community group. We're going to tend to this person. Who, is, who has brought something really difficult to group tonight, that kind of thing. Um, I've been on the receiving end of it. I've watched you do it. Uh, and so th- I love the fact that I'm not reading this of like, man, sure would be nice. You know, I'm reading it. I'm like, no, I know. I get it. Like, I want to grow in it. I want us to grow in it. But this is, this is not foreign. And I want to I champion the Living Hope family in, in that, that, that God has, has done a lot of these things um, like like very organically just through his spirit at work and i i of course want us to continue to grow in this but uh, i love being able to read this and all these all these examples pop into my head i'm like yeah this is not just for them this is for us this is what he still does um so um the concern of course is that is that that would that would cease somehow you know is that that we would take a weird turn and that generosity would stop because there are a lot of, of Christians who don't live this way, churches that don't live this way, um, and the threat would be uh, if we are materialistic and idolatrous with our with our money and our and our possessions and our time and our schedules and our uh, just our overall attentiveness to people around us then this this will not be something that describes us you know this this will be a foreign example to us if if we are if we're if we hold so tightly to all those things and essentially if we buy into into the american narrative that'll happen um and that's the that is a part of the challenge that we're up against it's it's a it's a unique thing in in the affluent part of the world is that our uh, our materialism and our consumerism will get the best of us to the point where we read this and it becomes either something we wish we could be a part of uh, but we're unwilling to or we say well that was just for then 
this is now, you know, those kinds of things. And so again, we look at this and we, uh, we want to say like, yes, this is, this is the community I want to be a part of. Um, but we want to have that kind of togetherness. And that's what I want. Like, like pull all that together. They were together and their togetherness gave them and, and track with me on this. Their togetherness gave them a right perspective on their stuff and on one another. Like by being together, they, they did not, they did not trend toward materialism. They trended toward generosity by being together. You ever been around people and, and like you come away from it and you're just like, I don't know. It's just, I feel different from being around them because you've realized that people are what we treasure and value because like people are what this is about. Stuff is just stuff. And that's what, that's what real fellowship does. That's, that's what real like having everything in common does is it, it, it leads us toward that. And so, you know, when, you know, back when the ring was the ring and this before the merger with the two churches and we named the church and, you know, there were some people who loved the name, some people hated the name. A lot of people were like, eh, whatever. Uh, but people would say, why fellowship? And this is, this is a part of why is to, to be a people who are together and we have all things in common. And then our togetherness gives us a right perspective on our stuff and on, and on one another. That we always, we're, we, we, we never invert that to where our stuff is more important than people. And so being that kind of fellowship is what we want God to do with us. Um, third thing they devoted themselves to. So there's apostle teaching, the fellowship. Third one, the breaking of bread. Uh, look at verse 46. It says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Okay, so this, this probably means two things. It probably means that they, when they got together in their homes, they, like the Lord's Supper was a part of that in some capacity. Um, and this is because they were, uh, they were being taught by these disciples who were in the upper room with him. And they're thinking, he's coming back like any day now. They didn't know it would be this long. And so to them, they're like, no, he said, like, to, he said to do this. So we're going to, this is what it means when we're together is what we do. It's part of why we do communion when we're together as a, as a church every week is that that's a part of the gathering of the saints is remembering the body and the blood of Christ. Um, and everyone's like, uh, in talking about the church, churches, re, you know, coming back together, communion is one of the big things of like, how, how's the church supposed to do communion in a COVID, you know, type situation? And honestly, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but we got to figure it out because it's it's part of who we are. Um, but it also this also means that they were just eating dinner together. So think about this: it's you have people over for dinner, and a part of that is communion, and then a part of that is just enjoying the the provision of God and enjoying a meal together. There's something special happens at a table when you're with people. Um, and you know, I heard a lot of this during the during the shutdown. People would say, like families would say, "Yeah, we eat at the dinner table like every night." And it's like a, we haven't done that in forever, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, there's something special that happens when friends get together. Um, you can all like pick up food and bring it over, and everyone sits around on couches and eats it in their lap. That's one thing. But if you go to the table, so there's just something different about it. It's almost as if we were designed to sit around a big table, like it talks about in the Bible. Um, and so they are doing that. So every time they were together, communion was a part of it. And then there's this, that general meal of table fellowship. Uh, but this was the kind of gathering that they had. Um, and 
being together was special to them, but they didn't just get together, hang out, go home. There was, there was a content to their togetherness. And the last thing that they were devoted themselves to is connected to it. It says in the prayers. So the breaking of bread and the, the prayers. Um, verse 47 says they were praising God and having favor with the people. Uh, so what are, what are the prayers? Well, uh, a part of that is that um, in the Jewish community, they don't, they don't pray like we do where we're kind of like, it's kind of like jazz. We're just like riffing the whole time, you know. Uh, they, prayed, they prayed the scriptures. They prayed the Psalms. They memorized them. And that was a part of it. So some of it was, was being uh, dedicated to the prayers that Jesus prayed. But also it was probably this, this like new kind of prayer, this new like jazz kind of prayer, where you're, you're talking to God in a, in a personal kind of way, in a way that Jesus talked to his father and then taught his disciples to do. So they're learning how to pray. And they're learning how to pray as a part of when they're together. Um, I read this quote. And uh, it's from a prominent pastor. Um, I'm going to read it. And I'm going to move on. <laughs> uh, it, says, it says, When they gathered in the big group in the, in the temple and when they ate together in their homes, Luke says they focused on God. They praised God. These were, this is what got me. These were not the kind of churchy get-togethers where you can talk all night about church, but not about Jesus. When they got in touch with each other, they got in touch with God, and they prayed. And so a part of their togetherness, so the apostles are teaching them, and a part of what they're teaching them is, when you get together for your meals, remember the body and the blood of Christ, like he taught us. And that connection to God is expressed in praying together. And uh, so am, am I lobbying for every time your friends are together, you need to have times of prayer? Um, I'm... Some of you disagree with that. You're like, I'm not going to be the weird guy that's like, let's stop blowing crawfish and have prayer. Uh, some of you would push against that uh, because you think it's weird, but not because you disagree with the fact that we need to be praying together when we are together. You know, like we all resonate. We're like, yes, we, we need to do that more. Um, it should it should be a very normal thing for friends to get together and to have times of prayer. It should be very normal. And the fact that it has not become normal is not a reason to just let it, let it be. Uh, if we're looking at this objectively and we're, saying, and we're thinking of it in terms of, here, here are the apostles who are with Jesus, who have these 3,000 people, and they're like, we need to train them up how we're going to do it. Let's, let's get them fully paying attention to these four things. The, the teaching, the fellowship, like the togetherness, the relationships, the breaking of bread, uh, so communion and also just being together and sharing a meal uh, that leads to prayer and connection with God. That every time they're together, they walk away closer to the Lord, learning more about Him, having thought about Him and addressed Him. Uh, that's what's being described here. Now, whether or not we want to prescribe that for our own lives, that's, that's, up, that's up to us, you know. If we want this kind of, of existence, then I think God's on board with it. Uh, but if we want to have this kind of, of impact, uh, because it does say that every single day more people were coming in. I'm like, yeah, you get a people devoted to that stuff, of course. Um, so in closing it out, uh, I was reading through this sermon where that quote came from. And the pastor was like, so what's the, what's the key to this passage? 
And I, I go toward like devotion, like they devoted themselves, they were fully committed to that. And, and there's, some, there's some legitimacy to that. Uh, but he went toward something else. He went toward uh, verse 43, where it says, And awe came upon every soul. He said, that's, that's the thing that we have to um, kind of like, get back to. Um, it's easy to look at it and say, like, well, you know, like they, they didn't have the distractions that we have. You know, they didn't have smartphones. They didn't have busy schedules. They didn't have all the entertainment and all the hobbies and all that kind of stuff. Or to say, like, well, they didn't have the knowledge that we have. You know, it was, so, it was very primitive. Or um, they didn't have the comforts that we have or the... Uh, the poor discipleship that we're kind of like overcoming. Um, they did have a lot of persecution though, uh, but we won't talk about that. Um, but if you think about the awe factor, um, for us, our awe tends to be mis- misdirected. Like that, just kind of like jaw-dropping, stunned place. It tends to be directed toward other things, you know. Like we stand in awe of of stuff, and of course I have a list, but uh, our awe it very easily goes toward our our money. You know, look look how much money I, I'm in awe of how much money I have, or how much money I don't have. You know, who, who knows? Um, uh, look at my retirement. Look at my house. Look at my car. Look at my personal appearance. Look at my career. Look at my business. Look at my family. Look at what my look at my kids' accomplishments. Look at my busy schedule. Oof. Um, look at our nation. Look at our economy. Look at the social change that's going on. Look at my uh, political party. Look at it could be all kinds of things where our sense of awe, like we were created to be in awe of something, and we have misdirected it in so many cases. And the truth is, when the awe of Jesus comes over us, that sense of like fresh. That fresh movement of the spirit, you know, like that book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Like when that, when awe is focused on Jesus, that is what comes over us. And these are some of the things that get produced by that. Um, and that's a part of what, uh, like these devotions did as they kept them in awe. The apostles' teaching kept their awe focused on Christ. The togetherness was was redirecting them to Christ. The breaking of bread to Christ. The prayers to Christ. There was just that rhythm, and and our our church has not been able to have some of those normal rhythms that we have that we count on so much. The Sunday service, the community groups in person, like some of those those special things that just keep us there. Um, but this is what a like. This is what the resurrection and Pentecost do to people right here. And we're still the same people. Like these things still happen today. And so if you look at this and you feel like your life has not, is not, like this doesn't describe your own life, uh, perhaps that sense of awe is what it comes down to, you know. Just remembering the, the, the tremendous awesomeness of Christ and who he is and what he has done. Um, to to have it not directed on all these other like temporary worldly things, but to have it on him and him alone. Um, and so as much as uh, much as I look forward to being together on the 12th, that's not the goal either. You know, the goal isn't just a worship service. The goal is, is that focus on Christ. 
which is very possible uh, when I open my Bible. It's very possible when I go out and I look at creation. It's very possible when I'm with friends and with family and in a worship service. All those things are possible. Uh, we got to find that sense of awe and make sure that that is what's coming over us. And let Jesus do what he does when that happens. Um, so we're going to sing a little bit. And we're going to sing uh, about him. And just kind of just see if that awe can get redirected. If it hasn't already been um, into what is, what is there. As we continue to follow the narrative of what the Spirit did for our earliest brothers and sisters. Um, and however, however you want to take this home with you uh, or keep it home with you. Um, it's up to you. I'm going to pray for us right now. Lord God, we're, we're so thankful for um, all the ways that you continue to care for us and guide us and for all your provision. And uh, we look at these, these baby Christians that you, uh, you just took care of everything that they needed. And you did this in a way that... Um, that inspires us and pushes us but there's something within us that reads it and we're like that's what we're created for like that's the kingdom of god that's that is what it means to to be a son and to be a daughter and to be joined together as a family and so that sense of awe that came from from the teaching and from that from their togetherness and praying and all those things together I pray that we could find that same that same sense of wonder. And so if we've been if we've been missing it, if we've been directing awe into all these other kinds of places, would you just keep pulling us back to the only real source? We love you very much and we thank you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.